0: Welcome to the Skill Stadium, a podcast for the skilled trades, where you can learn about the opportunities and benefits of working in the skilled trades from business owners, hiring managers, and the hardworking, talented professionals. And now your host, Keith Williams. Hello, this is Keith Williams. Welcome to the Skill Stadium podcast, episode 76. Thank you for tuning in. I am your host, Keith Williams. Every week, you will hear stories from professionals in the skilled trades, business owners, educators, giving real-world advice. We do not run any ads on this podcast. So if you found value, please share it. Please leave a review. Thank you for tuning in. So today, we're going to talk about Community College Path and how Community College Path has good-paying careers. The community colleges have good relationships with local companies. And that is really what gets their students hired, is the relationships they have. So my guest today grew up in Huntington, Indiana. He's an automotive technician by trade, author of automotive textbooks. He teaches and runs a construction program and is the department chair for Ivy Tech Community College. His strengths is he's very analytical and he's a problem solver and has a passion for learning which is probably why he has a bachelor's, master's, and PhD. It's a lot of education. He is proud of winning Teacher of the Year in 2017 for the North American Automotive Teachers. And during his free time, he enjoys traveling. And one of his favorite trips was to Ireland and Barcelona, Spain. Please welcome Dr. Nick Goodnight to the Skill Stadium Podcast. How are you today, Nick? All right. How are you doing? Excellent. Travel. How did you like Ireland? How was that? I really have to ask you about that. That's on my bucket list.
1: I mean, I went to Dublin when I was working with my PhD. I went over there with my wife on a conference as well. We met some people and had a great time. And I went back twice since then, just because it was a good place to go. It's a fun time. It's green. It rains every single day, it seems like. Really good beer.
0: (laughs) Yes, I bet. I bet. Now, did you get to go during the summer? Like what time of the year?
1: the first time we went October. So it was just getting cold. And then the last time I went was in March. Okay, uh, It was just starting it was right, around, so right around St. Patrick's Day. So I've never seen so many people in my life in the streets. Wow. Wow. Yeah. It must have
0: been one heck of a trip. Tell us, can you please share what you do as a department chair at Ivy Tech Community College?
1: Like you mentioned, I started an automotive For the past nine years, I've been in a college instructor. And so what's happened is an opening, uh, our construction uh, department chair moved on to a higher position. We had an opening and they needed somebody to fill it. I had a little bit of background in construction. I knew the community college, the way stuff worked for the most part. And policy and procedure is huge with any college, understanding how to navigate those items. So then they said, hey, you want to try this? I said, sure, why not? I could do this. I've been there for the last two years, I think. And I think we're working on getting me replaced so I can move on to the next thing. It's just, it's, you know, it's getting out of my comfort zone and trying to evolve as a person more than anything.
0: Mm-hmm. So what do you think is helped you the most in being able to make those transitions? Because, you know, you are an automotive technician and then you're the department chair. That's a that's a pretty big change.
1: One says once or the other, right? Same thing. My biggest thing is problem solving. So, I mean, like any any business, any any organization, making solutions for problems and making things happen for the most part. So pushing where you need to push, following up where you need to follow up and then proposing ideas that are kind of outside the box. So working through the automotive trade for the 20 plus years I've been in it, I've had that ability to, you know, think outside the box because, you know, whether you have a customer that has $10 that you need to get their car rolling or a customer that has 10,000. I mean, you you come up with all different kinds of solutions to problems. So it's just problem solving pretty much is the basic thing. So if you can understand how to do a root cause analysis of a problem, then you can do anything for the most part.
0: hundred percent. I agree. Now you have a bachelor's master's and a PhD. So obviously you've invested in education. Can you please share the importance of being a learner? Because a lot of people, what I notice, and I would say people as they get older in their forties and fifties, stop feeling like they have, to. I shouldn't stereotype. I mean, not say by age, but just in general, We need to emphasize the importance of, in a market that's changing, we got to emphasize the importance of learning. Talk to us about the importance of being a learner and how that's helped you.
1: Well, you know, I graduated high school in 2000, right? So I'm kind of, I'm old, seems like now. I'm getting older every day. And then I went to a for-profit automotive program in Indianapolis. Went there for a year, graduated with a social degree. Did that for a couple of years, like three or four. And then I got tired of getting beat up, my body beat up every day. So then that's when I started my educational path. Now, what I saw when I was 18, 19, 20, hey, I'm going to do this forever and never going to change. I'm going to fix cars forever, no matter what, yada, yada, yada. Well, then life happened. (laughs) And then I woke up and said, you know what? This is not sustainable. And so I needed to come up with a different plan. So I got my bachelor's, master's, and kept turning wrenches for a while until the opportunity came up with Ivy Tech. And then it intrigued me because it was different, but yet I was still in the field somewhat. And I could still talk about the field and learn about the field. And then something just tripped in my head. And it was off to the races like a light bulb turned on. I mean, if you'd ask my parents, they'd say, he's never going to do this when he's 18. There's no way that he's going to do this. And then all of a sudden, here I am, college instructor, associate professor, PhD, author. I mean, all this stuff just kind of rolled right down right after I switched the modes. Pretty much, I just shifted gears and went into overdrive.
0: Sorry, when you were growing up, what did you think you would become? (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, firefighter, right? Astronaut, all those things. And then high school is where I really kind of, you know, picked an area, which could tend to be automotive. So I went through the, it was vocational education at that point. So we did that half days for a while. Then it's for sophomore, junior, senior year. And then I got a job senior year. So i working and my parents never had money. I had two brothers. I mean, we lived in like a $35,000 house or something. And they worked at factories their whole lives. And I said, that's never going to be me. So I made a conscious decision that I'm going to do something. Then automotive took over. Of course, like a 17-year-old kid in Indiana, I mean, a car is the coolest thing in the world because you have to get anywhere. I rebuilt my first engine and blew it up by the time I was 17 because I didn't know what I was doing. (laughs) So it was one of those things, hey, let's try this. And ever since, it's just been the thing I've been doing. And I, it's provided for me. It's provided me lots of opportunities. And I'm really proud about that. Excellent. But that's how you learned. What
0: type of car did you, were you
1: working on? My first car was a $400 Chevy S10 long bed in primer that was lowered. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the most I learned how I tried to paint a car. I learned I couldn't do body work. So, yeah. Yeah, so after I painted it, and it was bad. And we decided, hey, let's do some engine work. Didn't need to do engine work. Just wanted to. And had a lot of disposable income because you know he lived at home, didn't have to worry about much. That was before cell phones, so I didn't have to worry about a cell phone bill. There you, you know? go. So I threw all my money at that for a few years, and then decided you know that was really dumb. And then I progressed on to better, bigger and better things. But you know what though,
0: having a skill set to be able to fix a car, I bet saves you a ton of money. Because
1: oh, yes, yeah, I, I mean, I, I when I worked in the shop, yeah, I get repair bills of four and five thousand dollars. Oh. I fix for people. And it's like, how do these people come up with this money? And I I'd look at it and say, where is this person? Cause you know, the person, cause they're in small town, right? Like talk yeah. to people, so you know where they work, you know about what they make and they're giving you five grand with their two kids and their wife and their house. They got to pay for, I mean, you try to help them out, but geez, that's, it's just, it blew my mind. So I, thank God I know how to do this. One word debt. Death, a lot of death. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've had forty-five-year-old had men come in with their parents that are eighty to pay for their bill. I mean, and it's like it breaks your heart, and it's like, and I'm not even overcharging them. I mean, we're doing it like bare bones, get them down the road type situation. But yeah, so that thank God that's never happened to me currently. Of course, I become the most popular relative of everybody. Yes, I <laughs> nobody ever calls me to say hi. It's always hey, this is broke. <laughs> yeah.
0: It's cool. Definitely, I'm curious because 4,500 seems like a lot of
1: money. Are those luxury cars like that? Oh, no. seems like that's, a that's, lot of money. No, uh, that's like you know a normal engine swap on a 2007 Ford F-150. Minimum three to four grand, probably closer to the five grand range. I wow. mean, just just by buying components and parts and finding decent engines and the amount of time. I mean, I got to take a cab off a truck just to take the engine out sometimes. And it's just ridiculous, the amount of work. I mean, you go get a Dermax, it's 46 hours just to do a headset, head gasket. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, but it's cool because I got a Dermax. It's not cool when you see that bill. Oh, I bet. (laughs) Not cool.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Hey, can you share your experience? You know, you're an author, which I think is awesome. Can you share your experience creating textbooks for the automotive industry? What was that like?
1: Well... I started in 2012, I started Ivy Tech, right? So teaching. So a few years went by, I was using some of the material that we adopted, right? Like a normal college professor would. And I started started seeing the problems, right? This is missing that, this one's missing this, so on and so forth. Or if they did this, it would be cooler. And then the opportunity with CDX came along through an acquaintance and said, hey, we're, we're going to do this whole new math series, right? So a book for each different ASC level. And they said, you want to write one? Sure, why not? So I, I wrote one. I did that while I was doing my PhD, which was the dumbest move I think I've made. So that's a lot of writing. I did that one. It takes about a year, year and a couple months. to Writing, it's easy. <laughs> so I get the writing done in six months. The other six months is getting pictures, is proofing the pages, is doing all the supplemental stuff. So questions and you mean, it's not just the book, it's the whole curriculum that goes with the book. So working with editors, I mean, one of our animators in Australia, so I got a, meet with him at like 7 p.m. on a Sunday to make it make sense and so doing all this stuff I've started building that and then the opportunity came around hey we have this other title that this author didn't finish you want to do that one sure why not and so that turned into another one and another one and then now I have a EV one coming out here about March from the hybrid and EV vehicle wow. it's cool I, I like it because it keeps me on top of the cutting edge of technologies it keeps me engaged outside of the classroom, and it gives me credibility in the classroom, which is kind of nice, and it's a cool thing to put on your resume.
0: Oh, definitely, definitely. I'm wondering, most of your research, is it just online? Like, where do you go to get your information to create the books?
1: Online? We have vehicles come in and out. I mean, I have a picture folder, probably 500 gigabytes of pictures of random cars I've taken, you know, whether it be I fi- I'm fixing them or I see them or I get them in and take them apart. And through conferences, I present at conferences every so often and I go to conferences and I buy other people's books and I see what they're doing. And it's just it's just an be- imagination of a bunch of different areas. And, and then you pick up the good stuff and you throw away the chaff. And you say, okay, this is what we're doing. And you do some research to make sure you're right because, you know, you don't look like an idiot. (laughs) And then once you figure that out, then you just put it together and uh, make a title out. That's
0: interesting. It takes about six months per book or
1: the writing part is six to eight months. The finish it, make it look pretty is another six to eight months. So, yeah. Wow. Uh, So the writing is easy. It just flows. You research it. You write it all out. Then you go back and read it and you say, wow, you're really not that smart. Then you fix it and make it look like you're smart and then make it pretty. After that, Wow. Yeah. What a process. Yeah.
0: So people are interested in, there are a number of community colleges and schools where you can get your education and training. People can now go online.
1: Tell me why people should consider Ivy Tech. Well, to start with, I mean, I work there, so it must be good. I like that. Ivy Tech is Indiana's community college. So, I mean, we're, we have like 19 locations now. We keep changing. Okay. Automotive is at like 12 of them, Diesels at like five of them, construction is at five across the state. And it's it doesn't really need to say Ivy Tech is the greatest and the only thing out there. It's a great option for a lot of people that a lot of people don't understand. When I came out of high school, nobody said, hey, automotive is right up the street at Ivy Tech. <laughs> I mean, nobody said, hey, we have this ability. And every time someone walks into my lab or my building and they see what we can do, they look like, wow, I didn't even realize this was here. So what I think the biggest misconception is a lot of people don't know what we do. They don't know ability that we do. I mean, most of our programs are accredited by three different agencies. And those three different agencies accredit some of the highest performing programs in the world. And it's right here in your backyard. I mean, you have so many opportunities. I just met with two employers this morning and they're talking, you know, starting people out at 18 $20 an hour plus sign-on bonuses. At this point, I mean, can you imagine being 19, making, you know, 40K a year plus, plus $10,000 sign-on bonus, plus benefits, plus uniforms and tools? And I mean, that's a good career just for doing, just for showing some interest. And then the technical training, we our technical training is on par with some of the best colleges in the nation. And people just don't realize it's right there. I think it's still got that stigma of it's the state school that's vocational, because vocational is a bad word for some reason. Skilled trades is a bad word. But these guys are making more than nurses. They're making more than most white collar jobs after you come out of a four year institution with 100K in debt. And they work eight to five and they get holidays off and, you know, pretty good gig. And most people are just, I guess, unaware. And mm-hmm. so that's why you should come to Ivy Tech. It's, it's a simple fact that we're here. We can do what we can put you where you want to be.
0: No, that makes sense. I agree. You know, the biggest thing too, I would say is. You know, you're not, it doesn't carry the same debt as a traditional college. No, No, by no
1: means. I mean, I think it cost me for my PhD, my master's and my bachelor's, I probably got 140K invested in that. Wow, that's a good deal. Yeah, it's still a good deal. Yeah, that's a good deal. deal. I worked the whole time I did it, right? So that was like one night a week forever, it seems like. Yeah. Our, Our associate degree is like 12 grand. So.
0: Oh, wow.
1: Yeah. So you walk out with a two year associate degree with 12 grand of debt. Maybe. I mean, I got so many scholarships right now that 12 grand ends up being like six with the blink of an eye, a little bit of effort. And then you get an employer to pick up the other six while you're debt free <laughs> and, and you have a, a skill and then it transfers. That's the great thing. It transfers to the PFW, which is Purdue Fort Wayne or it transfers to the Trine University or the Indiana Tech University. All those credits go there. So now your bachelor's degree that just got cut in half because of what you did at Ivy Tech. And I can even get down less than that. So, I mean, the opportunity is there for everyone. It's just a lot of people do not take advantage of it.
0: That's true. I think people are also not aware of it because how many people are
1: aware of the scholarship? Like, I didn't know. I mean, just- do We have a whole portal. Literally, you just fill your name out. <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> and then people look at your GPA and say, okay, yeah, this person deserves $500 or $1,000 or $2,000. And then I have employers giving scholarships. I have outside entities. Brandon Ektrode with the Collision Foundation. Those guys up there, I think they're based out of Chicago. They provide so much stuff to us for our collision program. And it's like material and free money for students and uniforms. And there's all kinds of stupid money out there. And Mm -hmm. we just got to put some effort out and say, hey, give me some of that. Yeah. And we try to direct them to it. And some people qualify. Most people qualify. Some people don't, obviously, but most people qualify and you fill out a form or write a little essay and there you go.
0: That's a big deal. I, I think again, companies need people so I'm sure they're willing to pay now. They're willing so, to pay.
1: Yeah yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah. yeah.
0: So have you been involved in professional associations, and please share how this involvement can help somebody with their career. So somebody who's thinking of going into the automotive, you know, are there professional associations and groups they should consider joining?
1: Oh, oh yeah, definitely SAE. so Society of Automotive Engineers, SAE.org. there's your little plug. Good company good organization. They're cutting edge. They're making the standards for all new cars. So, I mean, autonomous, autonomous is huge right now. They make the standards for what is autonomous, what isn't autonomous. They make the standards for oils. You name the automotive component, they made a standard for it. That group's a really good group. Obviously, ASC.com, so ASC, so Automotive Service Excellence, those are certifications. That's a good thing to test you as an individual and say, hey, yeah, I have competency in A1 or A2, which is the different levels. And it it goes even to heavy truck and it goes over to school buses. I mean, you name it, they give a test for it. Some of the industry groups, Diag.net, it's a really good one. It's kind of like Identifix is the same way. So they're like work groups to where you can bounce ideas. Hey, I have this problem with the car. This is a common problem or it's not. Then you talk to each other and it's a good chat. It's almost like a group, like a family almost. It's pretty good. What else I got? Now I get into leadership a lot. So ILA, uh, International Leadership Association. So that's huge with leadership, which is lacking in a 90 some percent of businesses I deal with. Nobody can lead. Everybody wants to be the manager. So inspiring people and making people be better. I literally just had that this morning as I have people quitting, going other places and managers are getting upset. It's like, guys you got to be happy with these people. They're getting better. They're building their skill sets, Why? Right? I mean, if you can't do it, that's fine. Let somebody else do it. And you can pull so many different organizations together. And I could, I mean, ICAR is huge. ICAR is big with our collision folks and our collision program. I could go on for probably a couple of hours if you wanted.
0: <laughs> no, I think we're good. Now, you mentioned something about the leadership and people quitting. I do believe that people quit, not companies, but they quit the leaders. They quit the people they're working with. I agree with so, you. If you're losing a lot of people, I would think that you the problem should be looking in the mirror.
1: But they don't. <laughs> they, 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 that's the thing. Is it, I mean, you know that. And I hear, I hear all these people saying this. Uh, yeah, it's a leader. The leader makes the person. The leader makes the tempo, the organization, the culture, right? And you have this whole train flow of people going away. And nobody's saying, hey, what, what is this guy doing? Why is all these people leaving? They just go get another person. They think everybody's replaceable. Yeah. And not everybody's replaceable. They may think they're replaceable. Like, for instance, where I work now, Ivy Tech, right? The amount of policy and procedures a person would take a minimum of two years to get upskilled to understand what they're doing. And so if I hired someone tomorrow, it would take them a minimum of two years to get to where I'm at now. And that's like baseline. That's not like super efficient at it. That's just kind of a basic understanding. And that's like a normal company, though. I mean... Imagine somebody fixing your vehicle, right? And you hire this green newbie, 19-year-old, and you can put him next to the 28-year-old that's been doing it for the last 10 years. There is no way that 19-year-old's doing what that 28-year-old's doing. Now, that's the problem is we're not looking at it that fact. We look at it, well, employee one cost X, and I can go get this employee two for less than X. And then they say, oh, let's go with employee two. Look, you still have an output. <laughs> your output is terrible because this guy has no idea. And the only time people get raises is when they threaten to quit, which is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going over here. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Oh, we got money finally, magically. So take care of people. I mean, people, it's easy. You know what people want because you want the same thing other people want. They want a good situation. They want to be able to make a good living. They want to have a nice, de-stressed environment. And we just don't give it to them. And we talk about it and we write books about it and we write articles about it and we preach about it and we don't do it. hmm it's sad, really. I think it all starts
0: with keeping your word. I mean, how many times have you been, have somebody been hired for a job? They say, we're going to allow you to do this and this and this. This is, you know, these are the parameters. And then they don't keep their word. They, you know, it would be like, reverse it. If you're the employer and someone that you hire agrees to come in at nine o'clock every day and they pop in at nine thirty, you're not going to have a problem with that eventually. Yeah, <laughs> some yeah. more. You know, so it's, it's just everything starts with that. Everything starts with doing what you're going to say. And I also believe communication, because I think if you're not, you can solve a lot of these problems by just having a conversation. Oh, Jesus. Hey, what's the problem?
1: What's the problem? How can I help this situation be a better? Thank you. And if, if that's the case, and most of us simple stuff, hey, I want this right here. Okay, let's go do that. Simple stuff. And people get, I don't know if it's a vanity thing or authority thing where I'm sitting there saying, you know, I'm the boss, listen to me, which I'm sure some of it. I got my, I'm the king of my fiefdom, but you need to get down on their level and you need to say, you know what, what can I help you do to make you more comfortable and stay? Because that's literally what I need you to do.
0: Yeah. I wonder if we incentivize managers by how well their employees developed and their, how long they stayed on, if that would change the behavior. Yeah. And if, their leaders were holding them their feet to the fire because I've seen where you can be a lousy manager and stay employed and a good employee could get cut loose. Oh, yeah. Like companies give a lot more leeway to the manager. And obviously, because the manager is in a position to hire and fire. But you've seen it. I'm sure you've seen it. We've all seen that manager who everybody knows. is just horrible, but it's just been there forever. And that's another thing, too, is When you see people who want to stay in the same role for years and years, you know that's not somebody who wants to grow or develop or get better. You know, I wonder if you can start trying to train and develop the leaders, and that, I think, would solve a lot of the problems.
1: Yeah, I mean, we fire the worker bees before we fire the manager, right? So so when we cut, we cut, let's cut production. Okay, that's a great idea. Let's cut the thing we're making. We're going to sell more of them that way. But we cut their underlings because we don't value them as much as we do those managers, whoever they are, whether they're good or bad. And yes. we, don't, we don't hold the accountability of the manager is literally just to make sure that production continues. There's no accountability. How are you growing, John? How are you growing, Susie? How are you making them a better person or making them fulfilled, at least maybe culture is better? I don't know. And we see this everywhere. And, it's, it's, and the thing is, we know <laughs> what to do. This is the most weird thing I've ever seen in my life. We know what the problem is. We know how to fix the problem, but we just ignore it. Yeah, I agree. And you know, that's every
0: industry. That's not just not picking on education, but that's everywhere. That's
1: everywhere. Right across the country. Yeah. And it's like, guys, it's not that hard. Just talk yeah. to your people. Say, hey, what do you want? Okay, let's give them some what they want. And everybody's happy. And, and then, of course, we have to say, well, we have so many margins we got to make. Really, if you don't have people, you're not making anything. So, I mean, 0% of zero is zero, last I checked. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Yeah. So, I mean, come on. It's, 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 it's simple stuff and people just need to get off their high horse and come down with the other people.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I heard you were involved with Skills USA, and I know that that organization is... They're pretty serious, particularly for the skilled trades. Can you
1: share your experience with them? So, I meet tech across the state of Indiana. We usually do the regionals for the Skills USA. So, I think there's like four of them. I think it's us. We're up north. I think we're in Indiana. I think Evansville's doing it, and a couple others. So, what we do is we set up the stations for the students for the local high schools that come in and, and compete, and then we just proctor it for the most part and move them forward. Now, usually we can get some sponsors, you know, local companies, auto parts stores, dealerships. I usually provide some prizes and some take giveaways, you know, stuff to get the kids excited just for showing up. But, yeah, it's, it's a good organization. I mean, I participated back when it was vocational something something back in high school. Wasn't nearly as big as it is today. And uh, it's, it's a good thing just to get people out there, get them competing, get them excited about the skilled trades, get them motivated to do something, and it gets them in the building so they can see the cool stuff that we do and uh, gets them asking questions. That's a big key. What have you found?
0: Have you found that a lot of those students have now moved on to pursue careers in the skill trades or perhaps? Oh, yeah. yeah. Classes? Usually
1: the ones that are the better ones, you know, the ones that get in the one, two, three and four, something like that. Fifth place. Those are the ones that are, hey, this is what I'm doing. We're going to do this after I'm done. Now, sometimes they come to Ivy Tech. Sometimes they go to places, but we provide usually a lot of these high school guys and, and girls just need somebody to talk to this knowledgeable topic. I mean, they talk to their teacher, but that's their teacher. They see them every day. I'm an outside person that's not in their, you know, everyday interaction. So I bring some weight to my conversation. I can say this and I can say that. And they take that. That's what I found because I go into a lot of high schools every year, you know, promoting the program and promoting what we have. And that's the biggest thing. They know me by name in a lot of places. And that's what I want. I want want those high school kids to know who I am, know where I'm from, know what I do. That way they they have an idea of what they're doing when they're done with high school. And dual credit helps with that. And just being exposed to these different areas is a big plus.
0: No, I hear you. I hear you. So, you know, the automotive industry has changed. It's it's really evolved. Mm-hmm. And you know, you've got these electric cars. What's your take on how technology is changing the industry in terms of, how do we get students prepared to deal with that? Because now there's a lot more coding, we're moving more new electric vehicles. What's your take on on the evolution of the automotive industry?
1: Oh, like every three months, it seems like there's a new thing. And, and this idea that gasoline is going to die a very quick death is very wrong because there's no way that's going to happen. So let alone diesel fuel, there's no way that's going to happen, like an instantaneous so there will be a nice engine for the foreseeable future in some version. But, yeah, getting students into coding. So what we were trying to do, I know our programs are starting to introduce more hybrid, more EV stuff. We're trying to include some cybersecurity because that's becoming a huge thing. Most of these auto tech, they're coders anyway. They're they're flash, they've been, I've been flashing modules since mid-2000s or earlier. I mean, it's been a thing. We've been doing this for a while. OnStar was in 95 or ninety eight, something like that. Yeah, that's true. And so that's telematics. That's over over our cell phone. So I mean, we've been doing this stuff we just call it different things. And and now we, it's a big thing. And so now we get more people, more funding, more exposure to this through our other programs. And we can combine things. Mostly you're talking cybersecurity and IT, and you can combine them with the automotive, the hard part, the actual physical moving the vehicle. And whether it be connected infrastructure or DSRC or NTC or, you know, virtual keys, this stuff is going to be a thing and people are going to have to learn how to program it and move forward. And of course, what happens then? Now the technician gets paid more because now they're a multitask technician, not just, Hey, go change the oil in my car. Now you're going to recode the reflash the whole vehicle. (laughs) It's like, okay, I don't get dirty. I, I just bring my laptop and I plug in and I just, type this in there and do this couple things. And there we go. That's pretty awesome. Yeah.
0: What do you think about the security on the vehicle? Because I know autonomous vehicles, there's a fear. I know, I know I'm part of a generation that grew up driving. Mm -hmm. I I would be fearful of, of adopting autonomous vehicles. I believe the next generation will be fairly comfortable with it, but you mentioned something about the security. Mm -hmm. How is that being addressed to ensure that those cars are not getting hacked and somebody's, Taking over control of the well, car.
1: If you want to look up a, a really cool case study, uh, I think it's a 2013 Chevy or Jeep Cherokee. Wired magazine did it. They hacked it going down the highway. Oh my god! Uh, they could sit in there. They're sitting in their apartment, controlling the wipers, the speed of the car, locks, all kinds of different things. Right. So to that was a big deal. That made national news and all kinds of stuff. So what they've done, a lot of not everyone, but a lot of them have done put a lot of keys within the car. So they have like two factor authentication, like your like your computer does where text you a, yep. a code you got to put in before you log in. Same type of stuff. You have a hard piece inside the car that authenticates the, the user's key and determines whether or not he's local, A, or B, as he's trying to steal a car. And then the biggest thing is this cell phone. This is where the, I think the problem's going to be, this guy. Because this yes. cell phone, because you're going to have those virtual keys. And so when you go to get your car, so I could send you my key and you could go take my car if I wanted you to. Mm-hmm. That's going to be a problem because you're going to replicate. They're going to find a way to replicate it to where it's it's it's, it's, it's way different than a normal set of keys. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, it's good and bad. Uh, it's one of those things that's going to fail a few times before you figure it out. But I think eventually, Nan, we'll figure it out.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. I'm into the technology, so I, I love hearing about all the latest and greatest. So that is something I'm really, I really enjoy. What advice would you give to students who are going into the automotive industry? in terms of being able to adapt and be successful with the technology changes?
1: Remember, it's still the same basic stuff. Everybody gets overwhelmed with the changes, right? Oh, we have this extra electronic motor, or this electronic thing that does this other thing. It's still power. It's still ground. It's still mechanical. I can fix those three items. If I can fix those three items, I can fix anything on it. And what I would tell people is go back to basics, understand the basics, have a really thorough understanding of the basics. And once you have that, the problem-solving ability, the rest of it is just another line on a piece of paper. I mean, it's, it's, it's really, we're not changing the world here. We're just utilizing things in a different way is all we're doing. And so just, it's confidence. So just build that confidence, keep that confidence high. If you screw up, you screw up. I screw up all the time. <laughs> so just accept the fact that you're going to screw up and just move forward from it. Learn from it, continue moving. Standing still does not do anything. I agree. 100%. Yeah.
0: Also, what advice would you give students to create a good online presence to attract employers like you and I connected through LinkedIn? Mm -hmm. I believe that nothing happens unless it's online. No one shows up at your house with the job opportunity. I wish. So So, great. (laughs) I wish it would be nice. (laughs) So how do you prepare? Like I've seen people who have spent more time on Facebook they do on LinkedIn, right. you know, that just boggles my mind, you know, or, or they don't even have a LinkedIn account or some people barely have an email address. Right. How do you function and survive in society without having an online presence? What advice would you give
1: students to make sure that they bolster that and have that? I mean, my LinkedIn profile is probably a more ongoing process, I would say. I mean, it's taken me a while to get where it's at. Mm -hmm. What I would tell them is uh, have a good picture, not the picture where you're at the frat party drinking a beer off the second story. That's a bad picture. (laughs) A nice face picture, right? So, I mean, where you look professional and continue to update it. I mean, I have this, I have these assignment in my capstone where they do a LinkedIn page just because of the simple fact, this is where people are going to look. Because the first thing when I meet someone, doesn't matter who it is, including you, you put their name in Google, (laughs) And then you yes. see, where and see where they're at, right? We we. I agree. And Facebook for people that just want to screw around. And I have a Facebook account, and it's great. And all you see on mine is my kids. That's literally it. Yeah, because that's where I share that stuff. Now I do link my Twitter with my LinkedIn, and I do post often, just because of the fact I need to keep people coming back to me, saying, "Hey, this person is somewhat knowledgeable on the topic, and this may be somebody I need to watch or or look at or listen to." You could link those together. Instagram, I do a lot of advertising for my program on Instagram because I know that's where the people are. A lot of advertising. I advertise like crazy. I'm sure you've seen it. I'm sure others do it. Program stuff, advertising, hey, I'm doing this today. Uh, the biggest thing is people need to know what you're up to if you're trying to make a move. If, mm-hmm. if you're not trying to make a move, then don't waste your time. If you're trying to become an expert or number one in your field or become better, then people need to see you doing that. That way they can help either help, hopefully. Or they can take notice and say, you know what, this person's trying to do something. We're going to follow what he's doing. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, just being active and don't post some dumb meme or some dumb gift that makes no sense to anybody for mm-hmm. you because you think it's funny. Professional stuff. I mean, I mean, I, the resume is good and we teach people to do resumes, but I think their online profile is worth more than your resume because that gets you into the person's life. So this is what the person does from day to day to day. Resume is a static doc; It stays whatever it is. So I would say continue to post, find, find stuff you're passionate about and continue to post about it, become an expert in that area, whatever that area is. Yeah.
0: I've also found that video is a great tool because I can see people, how they interact, how they speak and how they carry themselves. And you just there's so much you can learn about their capabilities, you know. If they're doing a video talking about their industry, if they've been interviewed as an expert, if they've been on a podcast, any content that where they're sharing their expertise, I think is invaluable. I think that's a game changer. because Good companies are always looking for people. And I think that your online presence
1: and visibility is, is such a huge asset. Communication is key to any company I've talked to. Every one of my advisory board members. Communication, communication, communication. People are terrible. I'm terrible at it. <laughs> I mean, people <laughs> doesn't sound like yeah. it. Doesn't sound well, like it. Ask yeah. my wife; she tell you something else. That's a different Communication is an issue because people. I think people know what they want to say. I don't know if people know exactly how to say it. And I think what they do is they they come they become guarded because they're afraid they don't want to come off looking dumb. And so they just don't say anything and instead of just saying something. And I, and that's what I found a lot of my students. They just don't have that confidence. And getting out there and talking to people on a regular basis, which is why I can do what I do, because I just do it all the time. And, and if I, it becomes normal. So, I mean, until you get that stigma away, um, you're going to struggle with that. And this helps, I think, cause it, because it gets you into the right groups. It gets you into the right clicks, The people that are like-minded or people that are looking for the same solutions you are. And it gives you credibility more than anything. Definitely.
0: Definitely. What are some resources students interested in the automotive career can uh, check out?
1: You can come see me at ivytech.edu. That'd be great. There <laughs> uh, All right. Uh, we can tell you all you want to know about. ASC is a great one. I mentioned that before. Uh, Diag.net is a good one. NACAT, National North American Automotive Teachers Association, is a good one. What else we got? I mean, any OEM website, any, I mean, even YouTube is a good source. I mean, you just need to watch what you're watching on YouTube because some of it's wrong. There's there's plethora of automotive stuff out there. And I'm involved in that group organization as well. The North American Technical Education Association, they do all kinds of different trades. I'm working with a group out of the Department of Transportation, uh, the Velope Center which is working on autonomy and uh, teaching autonomy through colleges and whatnot. I work with PAVE, the PAVE group, paving the way for autonomous vehicle operation. Yeah, Ohio has a, Drive Ohio has a autonomous corridor there by, uh, from Honda down to Dublin, I think, Ohio. Oh, wow. Lots of cool stuff. I mean, you name it. Blo- I mean, you can even go to Moby. Moby is out of California. they blockchain group that I work with as well. So blockchain is a huge programming language for that's becoming emerging as a big one in automotive. Cool. Cool.
0: Final question. Can you share one lesson you've learned that can help a new student enrolling in
1: your college? Don't stop. Continue on. I see what happens is people get overwhelmed. Like like they go look and say, okay, I want to do this. I want to be an automotive technician. And so we show them the list of the courses and then we show them the building and we show them all the stuff. This is what you're going to learn. This is what you're going to do. And they get scared. It's not what grandpa's cousin's uncle did when he did it. They get overwhelmed and they say, well, I'm I'm too dumb. You're not too dumb. Most people are not dumb. There are some people that are dumb, but most people are not dumb. Most of it is self-confidence. And so that's where we, I come in. That's where my colleagues come in. We're here to build you up, to make you to that, get you to that level where you feel confident enough you can do this. And so that's just through sheer will and and don't stop. Just keep going, keep moving. If you stand still, it's going to pass you by. And then you're going to be 52 years old and you didn't do what you thought you were going to do by that point. Regret. Mm-hmm. Regret. Yeah, regret's a bad thing. Regret is a very bad thing. Yeah. yeah.
0: Well, Nick, thank you so much for your time. Uh, I appreciate you being a guest. Please share how people can find your school or find you.
1: Ivytech.edu or cdxlearning.com, either one. I work at Ivy Tech and I write for CDX. So either way, you can find me on Amazon too if you just put my name in. Excellent. Yeah. Well, Nick, thank you so much for your time. Okay, great. Thank you for listening to Skill Stadium. It would mean so
0: much if you left a review on iTunes and told your family and friends about the podcast.